1: LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia acknowledges the traditional onus of country throughout Australia, their diversity, histories and knowledge, and their continuing connections to land and community. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and their cultures, and to elders of past, present and future generations. This podcast discusses themes that may be distressing to some. Support is available. You can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous support for the LGBTIQ plus community. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ plus community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. Hello and welcome to the latest in LGBTIQ Plus Health and Policy, the podcast that brings you health and well-being hot topic discussions. Each episode, we bring you an interview with a leading voice in LGBTIQ Plus health and wellbeing, plus a conversation with panels made up of LGBTIQ plus leaders and influencers. I'm your host, Triana Butler. Thanks for joining me today. Reverend Dr. Josephine Inkpin has been a priest and minister for over 30 years in the Church of England, the Australian Anglican Church and the Uniting Church of Australia. She holds a PhD in theology and taught history and theology at Oxford University. And in 2021, she made history as the first trans ordained person to be inducted into a mainstream church in Australia. She now leads the congregation at the Pitt Street Uniting Church right in the centre of Sydney. And she joins us today on the latest to talk about what being an LGBTIQ plus person of faith means to her, the changing attitudes towards LGBTIQ plus people in the church and sharing her ministry with her wife of 30 years, Penny. This episode explores topics like mental health and conversion practices. So if you need to talk to someone about it, you can contact QLife on 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au. With that out of the way, Reverend Dr. Josephine Inkpin, thanks so much for joining us today on The Latest. Thank you for your time.
0: Oh, it's great to be here.
1: Now in 2021 you became the first openly trans ordained person to be inducted into a mainstream church in Australia which is a huge achievement congratulations <laughs> Are we just say congratulations i don't know
0: um yes i think so it was a great it was a great event and i mean the uh- I, I had been able to work in the Anchorage, but that's because I already had a licence when I came out. So, And they were wonderful up in, in Brisbane but in many ways. But this is the first time. It is a it is a historic breakthrough for Australia.
1: So what is it like to help forge a future where barriers for trans people are overcome? Because you're doing something that really is not the
0: norm here. Well, it is interesting. And um, I mean, I can't avoid it really, I mean, any more than because i you know, my my trans identity and my sense of the sacred are both sort of fit together. And this is, <laughs> this is who I am. Um, but I, I do find it quite interesting because, I mean, year, when I started off in ministry, we were fighting for the ordination of women. My wife was one of the first women ordained. Well, I was as well, but they didn't know what they'd ordained. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so we, we fought for all that and we were one of the first couples in the Church of England to You know, to be clergy couples, Um, my wife was, I think, the second woman in England to get maternity leave. They didn't have um, leave for me, unfortunately. Um, So all of those things, we've been battling on the edge a lot. So I suppose I've got some experience of that, but it is quite tricky. And there aren't a lot of pioneers in this country, and and I'm sort of at the leading edge. Fortunately, there are others around the world um, uh, who are gradually breaking through. So that's sort of helpful, really.
1: Well, knowing that there are so few people globally that are doing this,
0: how important is it for you to be out and visible? Uh, absolutely vital because I mean that's part of the journey I mean at the age I am I mean I, so I grew up in a very conservative r- region rural area in England and we just didn't have the language and there was no model or anything for, for who you could be or what to be and back in 2000 just before I became came to Australia um, I remember it was like a shock of electric went through me when I read um, what was the Church of England newspaper at the time um, the first trans priest who come out was supported by their bishop, was able to, to minister, Carol Stone. And, um, it, you know, I'd, I realized the first time I, I was possible. And and that's what I think um, those of us who are able to do that um, offer to other people. And, and it's in all sorts of different walks of life, obviously. Uh, and... Um, I get huge numbers of people contacting me from all kinds of different backgrounds, and um, and sometimes family members. And, and I know it makes a big difference to people. And I know from my own experience that that's transformative. And, and I would have come out a lot earlier if I'd have stayed in England, because as I say, I then saw myself as possible. Um, and some people are able to, you know, even make the first breakthrough without sort of seeing themselves. <laughs> but um but but I do what I can and and fortunately there are a few others that are gradually breaking through too
1: now I know a lot of lgbtiq plus people feel excluded and pushed out of well a, a lot of churches christian churches in particular I used to attend a church but when I came out as trans I was kind of immediately cut out of all the group chats and didn't have anyone return my phone calls and it was like oh, okay you just don't want me around so even when you know that faith is a really important part of who that person is how do you balance staying in the ministry and being who you are when there is so much noise from other people in that community who are telling you that you can't do that
0: yeah well it is sometimes tricky and we've had a little avalanche of of things lately because world pride because we've been out there and with others um Shining the light, as it were, but I think you have to you have to sort of dwell on your own light and realize that actually the those who claim to speak the truth, as it were, have actually lost track of it a long time ago. And um, without being arrogant, uh, we are the future. Um, Whether or not churches themselves, as vehicles for the sacred, are going to continue much longer in the way in certainly the form they are is another question. But but what. We are connected to the deep wisdom traditions of the world, you know, going back centuries, whatever, um, or millennia. Um, those things are never lost. And, and so we're reshaping that, um, and we know it gives life because it's kept, kept me alive. You know, I mean, I sometimes say three Fs kept me alive. Um, uh, feminism and football, which is the English religion I grew up in, um, Ramble um, and faith. And, and it was that space for me because the rest of the world, um, told me that, you know, the, insisted on the binaries and all the rest of it. And there was no space for me, but there was this sort of curious space of which you call God mystery um, of um, uh, of, and of possibility and of imagination. So I, I guess that's what you have to keep coming back from. And, I, and I'm, I've been very blessed to have some amazing colleagues um, here in Australia, like Benjamin O, Anthony Van Brown, and Chris Sabs, Nathan Despot, and other people who, you know, who share that. So I guess we keep one another going a little bit.
1: Now, in the Pitt Street Uniting Church, you found this welcoming faith community. What challenges do you still face in terms of affirming your gender and your bodily autonomy?
0: Uh, well, a lot because we, you know, we're about at least ten or fifteen years behind gay and lesbian people, I think, and the and, and the battle's on now, and there will be further backlash against, so as there is, we see that in America, in Scotland, in England, um, and and that'll come here worse, I think, because it's one of those things, you know, that first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, and all that, and then eventually they start fighting you, eventually, you, and then you win, but we're in that sort of fighting stage, I think, at the moment, and so within churches too. And Actually, the Anglican church in parts is a lot better better in, invested in this. But um, the Uniting Church, for example, has done some wonderful things. And, it, it you know, we have marriage equality um, in most places and, and ministers can, uh, sexual and gender diversity isn't an issue in many places. But. I think it's mainly, particularly from lesbian and gay point of view. So, as the first trans minister, out trans minister in the Uniting Church, I'm aware that there's a lot more work that's got to be done around language, Im- imagery, understanding. There's still a lot of lack of awareness and um, need for education. Uh, there's legal changes that needs to happen, not least in places like New South Wales. Um, so that there's there's a whole raft of those things. And whenever you look at the statistics of LGBTIQ people, trans people are at the bottom of those. And particularly for young people, you know, the rates of suicide and self-harm and such like way above um, gay and lesbian young people uh, who themselves still need support in this. So um, those things have still got to be um, taken on. And, and, I, and I guess in a sense, I feel as if, I can do my little bit in terms of trying to support people and the groups like Transcend and others that do such magnificent work um, need to be given that sort of support and need to be heard properly by governments and others. Well, we've been speaking
1: so far about, I guess, being part of those faith communities as a, as a queer person. In terms of looking outwards, though, from people from a faith community outwards towards the LGBTQI plus community, how do you think? religious attitudes towards LGBTIQ plus people have been changing?
0: Well I think it is changing. And I think it's because um what we would call in the church, the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean the churches can do what they like, but but at the end of the day, um, life moves on and the spirit moves on. And and so you find that People are sort of coming out—gay, lesbian, trans, all sorts—in all kinds of different communities. It's not any one tradition, and so that for me is is really hopeful. That it's, but uh, it also means that we're often divided quite a bit. But but we have a long history. I mean, the, and the Metropolitan Community Church is fully affirming. Church were founded in the sixties. Acceptance. Um, organization, the Catholic affirming organization in this country was founded 50 years ago and we celebrated that at a mass during World Pride recently. Um, but I think that things have changed and I'm one example of that. And I'm not, there's now another couple of um, transgender priests in Australia as well. Um, and I think we will see more and more um, changes in that. But it is very, very slow and, and quite painful. The other side of it is that I think as um queer people of faith we're not properly understood by many um, other queer people in the queer community and we don't get the support we like that sometimes I feel well some I've been told that I suffer from Stockholm syndrome and all sorts of other things um, and that we you know that we're actually sometimes problematic and I know we sometimes remind people of the pain that they felt in religion, I'll understand that. But at the end of the day, we're the ones actually most vulnerable to religious discrimination, conversion therapy, and so on, especially young people who can't get out of religious families. And that they, and so we need support from the wider community that we're not just sort of a site embarrassment, but, but actually the people that can help. And I've said to people, we might be completely mad, people, queer people of faith. We, we possibly are. But um, if... If you want to stop the right-wing bandwagon, and religion is being used as the last refuge of the scoundrel to stop queer liberation, if you want to stop it, it would be helpful to support people like me because we can put a spanner in the wheel. We understand the, the monster, as it were, and we can find ways to slow it down at least and trip it up um, and expose their contradictions and 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 their commitment really to power, uh, which is really their obsession. And they're using religion rather than actually having anything positive to say to almost anybody, really.
1: <laughs> well, you found yourself right in the middle of that fight during World Pride up at Pitt Street Uniting Church. Can you share a little bit about what happened during World Pride? There was a, a an aim to do something really celebratory and and then something horrible happened after that?
0: Yes, well, we we're part of. Um, I mean, we've been around. That, there were some people coming along to complain. They said, and they were shocked because we've got a banner up saying Rainbow Christians together, and um, and we'd painted the steps rainbow and everything, and they were quite horrified that um, we did this. And and one of them said, so When you say the steps, you'd painted the steps, the church steps, yes, also oh, um, at the front of the building, yes, so that's right, very visible, and so we're you know a hundred yards from town hall. We're right in the centre of the of the city, so we. Um, we are sort of a magnificent symbol and a meeting place, and that. So we were a hub for a lot of other things, and there was an exhibition called Amplify Queer Faith with um, all sorts of figures, some notable figures of uh, people from all sorts of different faiths, and, and, and a lot of activities we had. Um, but we got a reaction from uh, from people. There's particularly a group called Christian Lives Matter, um, which has been causing all kinds of disruption, including. Um, They disrupted the Catholic mass um, on the Friday nights, which celebrated acceptances 50 years. I was there. We were harassed. Those people had been harassing us for a couple of weeks. And then they uh, poured paint on the steps. Some of our people, you know, quite sort of elderly, quite distressing for them. Um, And then we repaired those and we we carried on. And then they came back and ripped ripped up the steps, which... um, or part of the, uh, the way in which the painted steps had been sort of arranged. So um, we had all that. There was quite a lot of online stuff as well. Um, and a lot of harassment of um, the sisters who helped to host the, the mass. Um, a lot of uh, opposition from particular quarters of the Christian community, which then spurred other people on. Um, so I guess our our feeling with that is that that is what that's what we're up against, and and we're the ones who are under attack here. So lots of people are parting in the city as we try to do as well, and and we're used to that in Pitt Street, of being attacked for all sorts of stands for justice, but nonetheless, um, it's time this stopped. And in a city that is proclaiming, you know, that it's so queer friendly, how come that queer people of faith are so vulnerable, um, and we're vulnerable to people from within the the um, Christian faith communities, um, where's the support from the wider queer community for us? And although we do get some, and there's some lo- lovely examples of that, um, that, that need and that support is, it could be a lot stronger, I think.
1: We're chatting with Reverend Dr. Josephine Inkpin, minister in the Uniting Church of Australia, leading the Pitt Street Uniting Church up in Sydney, a congregation really notable for its affirmation of LGBTIQA plus people and their focus on social justice. So we see that change is happening, and we see that there is, you know, some resistance in the physical world as well. But we're still seeing in the policy space, conversion practices still happening. No movement on that, it feels like, still inflicting a large amount of suffering and trauma on a lot of LGBTQI plus people. I know a lot of LGBTQI plus people of faith feel a real deep shame in being themselves because of those practices. So, how can queer people of faith protect their mental health while still remaining true to their faith?
0: Well, I think it's it's about finding, as I was saying earlier, it's about finding the light and 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 good connections. And there are more and more affirming churches as well as fully celebratory ones, which is where I think Pitt Street are, the Metropolitan Community Church, most of the Quakers, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it it's finding out where those places are, contacting groups like Equal Voices, which I'm co chair of, um, and get and, and 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 going to the places where where you will really be supported. Because the thing about faith throughout down the centuries is it's actually, and it, researchers have shown this, that for people, for straight people, it's actually on, on the whole is that participation in community life and in a faith community life actually helps their mental health. Um, so if you can find a space where a faith community space where you can be who you are and to be affirmed, then you too will benefit from that. But the problem is we've got this toxicity that runs through so much of the churches that is embedded in a lot of so-called tradition um, and the way in which it's sort of put over today. And so there's a great deal of a work that needs to be done to transform that. And one of the challenges with con- conversion therapy practice and orientation change practices is that it's bound into certain ideological frameworks. And so the work of of addressing this needs to be done with people of faith as well, so that it's not just sort of externally applied. Because at the end of the day, faith communities need to be owning and changing this. Otherwise, it will go underground. And I've seen that happen in Queensland, where Victoria have done probably the best conversion therapy legislation in the world. Queensland have done some of the worst, because what they did was to um, pass laws which apply to the medical scene, but they're they're not really applying to the faith scene, um, and that requires conversations with church leaders for them to own homophobia and transphobia, as my moderator has done here in New South Wales, the uniting moderator, and for for that to be worked through. So. It's not a threat necessarily to prayer and such like, but I think churches and other faith groups need to look at the way in which what they're saying in in community spaces, their faith community spaces, and the way in which they pray. It's it's not enough just to sort of see this as something um, as a battle between the secular world and. Um, the world of faith. So that so that work needs to go on. In New South Wales, we've had a little bit of a problem because we haven't had got quite the same legislative setup. So there's got some work that's been done, which Alex Greenwich is now on to, which will, I think, enable us to have some means by which this can be um, implemented and policed, as it were. But it will require the involvement of faith communities to say, we're not, we're not having this anymore.
1: Well, to finish this up, you know, let's. I want to end on a really positive note. Um, I know you've been married to your wife, Penny, for over 30 years, which is an achievement in anybody's books. Um, you've been leading congregations together. How has that relationship and that partnership evolved over time? I want to start there.
0: Well, it has. And I, I, I suppose it goes back to a fundamental thing. You say this is a Buddhist thing, but actually, really, in fact, it's a wisdom tradition thing generally, which is that life changes you know and um if you if you get stuck with one particular way of looking at life or being then suffering happens that's what the buddha said and in a way jesus said the same thing you've got to let go of your life in order to move move on that god is a mystery so i i think it's the same you know marriage is part of that and and relationship is that We're always changing and all sorts of things happen in our lives, whether it be, you know, births of children, some accident, change of job or whatever. And at that point, we all we we have to, if you're in a relationship, you have to readjust. um, And sometimes you have to go your separate ways. Um, And I suppose Penny and I have always been able to make that shift in in what I would say is God is always transitioning. And so is any relationship has to transition. Um, So. We were trapped in, the, the The ironic thing is that Penny could see, because she knew pretty early on that I was um, <laughs> trans, um, but um, I sort of buried it partly for the sake of the children, as it were, and, and our families and, and church and such like. But she could see how badly it was hurting me, and uh, probably more so than... Than I saw because she would say, when she's asked about, well, just this, are you now a lesbian? She would say, well, she does identify as queer now, but she would say, well, I'm not sure I want to claim that identity necessarily. What I would say is that um, I'm a Joe sexual. That's very sweet, isn't it? Really? Oh, but, but what she meant was that I'd married a person, not a gender you know, or, you know, a particular sexual orientation. And I think once we get to that point, and that one of the frustration things to me is that people still go on, lazy journalists, about same-sex marriage. And I think it's not, it's about marriage equality, which thank God the United Church actually talks about, because it's about the opportunity for for people to make um, commitments, covenants to one another, and to work through the changes. And hopefully, as we work through all the changes in our life, which could be a gender change, could be sexual discovery, all sorts of other things, whatever it is, that we've got people who can walk with us, you know, and and that's the great thing, because the Bible's quite clear, you know, one of the early things is it's not good um, for a human being to be alone. So God creates two people, like two animals, whatever. Um, But I don't think it requires particular a box for the two of them to live in, you know, and so I guess that's what we discovered. It is a sort of, it sounds very glib, but the, the heart of it really is, as of all the great wisdom tradition, is love, and that you know is, if you live in love, then you will find a way forward, and you do have to negotiate a few things, and some of my friends, you know, have who transitioned, you know, they they've they've split with their partners. Um, and, and that's fine you, g- generally amicably. Um, and some people find that different. But one of the interesting things is that I think, whereas it was expected that people would separate, you know, we had legislation like forced divorce to make us do that. These days, um, things are changing and people will stick with, stick with one another often because um, there's something more than your genitals. You know, and, and as one Catholic theologian puts it, so many people are hung up with. You know pelvic orthodoxy religious people but also other people but the real orthodoxy is that of love and um and love can do incredible things and thank god for the time that we've spent together
1: sorry i'm just noting down the term pelvic orthodoxy thank you for that
0: yes <laughs> people in the ancient church they used to be interested in things like you know the nature and the mystery of god you know whether or not the world was sacred or not you know whether the earth mattered and human bodies mattered today it's sort of like you know what bits have you got between your legs and what are you doing with them i mean what a what a reduction of religion to that really it's it's absurd
1: well on that note (laughs) thank you so much for joining us today reverend dr josephine inkfin really great to connect with you again Thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Well, thank you to our guest, Reverend Dr. Joe Inkpin for her time. If this podcast has raised any issues for you, you can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide, anonymous LGBTI peer support and referral for people wanting to talk about a range of issues, including sexuality, identity, gender, bodies, feelings, or relationships. Remember, QLife services are free and they include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTI iq plus community members from across the country if you want to contact q life you can call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat if you'd like to suggest someone that you want to hear on this podcast you can let us know by sending us an email info at lgbtiqhealth.org.au and when you send that email make sure you include the word podcast in the subject line